Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. So we had some sports there for a minute time, kind of sports time, and and now we're back to no sports time. We will make the best of it time. Let's be optimistic time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Going to drop this, I think, on a Tuesday morning. Hope you're having a good Tuesday morning out there, unless it's Tuesday afternoon or evening or Wednesday evening, Wednesday morning. Maybe even Thursday or Friday. Who knows? Whatever day it is, whatever time of day it is, we're happy that you're spending part of it with us on the GoVols 24-7 podcast. Not just me on this podcast. From across town in in parts unknown uh, that we will not disclose the exact uh, GPS coordinates for, it is the one and only Patrick Brown. What's going on, Pat? Not much, Wes. Wow, that was a good start. Yeah, I did that in the first. The, we, we were the last time we were recording a podcast. I did. We were doing one of the recruiting breaking news ones because Tennessee's been on a kind of a recruiting bender, and we were getting ready to start recording it. And the first one, it was like Flem City when I tried to say what's up, and so yeah, I get it, man. Other than that, though, well, you're I just, right? I just, I just ate something, so I probably didn't help the situation. Uh, but other than that, you're good. You and yours are, are happy, healthy, all that good stuff. Yeah, I. Um... Yeah, I'm I'm weirded out by this weather though, because on Sunday it was like in the 40s and windy, and it's like, would you just get to 70 and stay 70, 75 and stay sunny and let's roll? That would be great. And I just yeah, so I it's playing with my allergies some. It hasn't been too bad, but but yeah, so no, everything's fine. It's fine over here. Yeah, in we, my undisclosed location. Yeah, we we had uh, you know, I've got the the greenhouses. I grow a bunch of stuff here, and it's been. You know, I get the beep every time the weather gets to like above a certain level or below a certain level because it kind of gives me a heads up. And it's been like schizo the past few days. This time of year, it's great because some days you walk outside and you're like, man, you could not have perfect weather. You could not have better weather than this. And then the next day, like it's pouring down rain. And the next day it gets down to like 41 at night. And you're like, what, what, where are we? What's happening here? I suppose that's East Tennessee. Pat, we had sports over the weekend. Uh, do you enjoy that? It, it's not live sports necessarily, not like live action sports, uh, but it was the NFL draft and it was done differently. It was a virtual draft this season with Roger Goodell hunkered down in his basement, uh, like the rest of us, announcing the picks from the first few rounds. Players uh, at home with their families, no more than six people per room or the NFL was going to get angry with you. Uh, so it was, it was different, but, you know, I, it was nice to have something, wasn't it? Yeah, if anybody was complaining about it, then what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we haven't had a live sporting event in a while. I know the, the draft is not a game and it's not for everyone, but 
Um, the NFL uh, is king, and credit to the NFL um, for, I don't say sticking to its guns, but saying, you know, kind of keeping business going um, and, and having the draft and, and making modifications on it and, and trying to make the best of the situation with some of the uh, fundraising and things like that that they uh, I think we're able to do over the course um, of the weekend. And um, it, it was cool. It was, um, it was interesting to see like players sort of not in their element, so to speak, but with their families, you know, um, and, and celebrating that moment with, uh, with the people that are closest to them and have gotten, uh, and, and for a lot of them have, you know, their family members obviously have gotten them to the point where they could get drafted in the NFL. And, you know, it's, it's, so I, I thought that was pretty cool, and um, <clears throat> I can't remember which national uh, national writer it was, but it might it might have been Dan Wetzel from Yahoo. But he tweeted something I think from one of the NFL head coaches that was like, "I like doing it this way. I didn't have to put on a suit. I could just wear shorts." Yep. Uh, I'm sure all the the GMs and the coaches like having their kids around because uh, I know you know in the NFL they they have a little bit more of a structured schedule um, than college coaches do for the most part, a little bit more structured hours, but, um, they still, you know, their family time is uh, still limited, especially this time of year. So I think a lot of them probably enjoyed getting to, uh, getting to do a lot of things with, uh, um, with their kids nearby. Uh, a lot of, a lot of cool FaceTime calls too, with, with guys getting drafted and things like that. We saw that with, with uh, both the Tennessee's guys. Um, so I really enjoy it. I've always loved the draft. Um, and it, it did disappoint, even if it was a little bit different, not my expectations going in were a little, I was unsure what it was going to look like, but, uh, I think a lot of people did a, a really good job making sure everything went off pretty much without a hitch. Yeah. And I know that, that, that there were some complaints that, that, you know, some of the coverage, you know, Hey, by the way, complaints on social media, what that never happens. But, you know, the, there were some complaints that, that, you know, there, it was a little morbid at times and. You know, I, they, I agree with those complaints. You know, I think that was a little bit weird. It was, it was, it was, it was a tad overdone. Now, I think the thing with T. Higgins was just a low blow, and I didn't think that one was appropriate in any way, shape, or form to do that. That was, that was legitimately talking about his mom and her past, and you know, putting it like on the graphic, like it was like, here's his touchdowns, here's his receptions, and by the way, his mother battled a drug addiction for 16 years. Yeah, not not what I would have put down on the bullet points, but I'll say this. I think the NFL overdid it a little bit, uh, the, the coverage people did with this stuff, but one of the best parts about the draft is, and I don't cover a ton of recruiting, but I, I cover these guys just like you do, Pat, when they get to campus, and you get to know them a little bit, uh, you get to know their backstories, and you know, like for instance, if someone like Daniel Batuli had been drafted, you know, his, his parents sacrificed everything, moved from uh, kind of a war-torn Congo to the United States, uh, were working several jobs, you know, just trying to get by, wondering what the next meal was going to be. And, and then they get to go say, hey, I'm an NFL player now. And a lot of those guys, you know, they, they lose a parent growing up or they come from a difficult background. And, and when they get that phone call, and they know they're going to get some money. It's just all those years of work, not just by them, but by their family. It, it takes a village. And it's such a cool moment. Like other than my, my favorite is when those guys get degrees, because oftentimes they're the first in their family to do it. And I think that's just fantastic. It's one of my favorite things about the business. But when they get that NFL money also, when they get that first contract or when they get that first call saying you're drafted, I mean, that's like, that's, that's a lifetime worth of, of working for the parents. And it's, it's kind of, I get why they wanted to talk about those things because 
you know, it's kind of a cool moment to see how much these, some of these kids overcome. I, I do think that's, maybe they overdid it, but I think the, their heads and, and hearts were in the right place with this. Yeah, um, and, and on one hand, it, it is interesting to see what some of these guys have overcome um, and, and what they've had to go through that has made them, um, you know, kind of who they are as a person. And, and it sort of explains, you know, the emotion. I think uh, Cesar Ruiz, the offensive lineman on Michigan that went in the first round to, um, uh, was it, I think the Saints, was, wasn't he? Yes, it, Saints. He was where he was like eight and his dad was helping somebody on the side of the road and got hit. Was that? Am I, is that, that is that the correct one? Yes, that and the kid from Penn State, the lineman, were the two like just absolute heartbreaker stories. Yeah, um, th- those are okay. I do think there was a little bit of overkill, and I do wonder, you know, like, did they talk to these guys? Can did they say like, hey, can we can we bring this up? Like, did they say, hey, you know, we're gonna, hey, T Higgins, we're gonna put your mom on blast on, on front of, you know, in front of everybody, and, and and there were different broadcasts. Like the first night, I didn't get as much of. Um, some of uh, some of the off-field stuff, just because I was I'm I'm team team NFL Network all all the way through and through for years. So that, that would have been my um, preference was, as well. But um, and so I I saw people talking about it and I was like, oh, kind of what are they talking about? They're kind of just going straight to football over here, um, which is you know which is kind of what I wanted. But um, in, in some cases, I think that that's good. It's good to know. You know, I mean, it would have been good. You know, I, I don't know how many Tennessee fans know about Daryl Taylor's situation with his mom passed away when he was in high school. Um, and his father not being in the picture. Yeah, and, and ABC uh, completely yeah. ignored that, by the way. They did everything about yeah, everyone and, else, and he has a legitimately heartbreaking story of things he's overcome, and they didn't mention it. And I was like, really? These other yeah. guys are talking about like his great-great-great-grandfather's cousin, three times removed, passed away from natural causes at the age of 74 in <laughs> 1894. And it's like, what the hell? And then Daryl Taylor got, you know, I don't know, I just it was weird. He got ignored. Yeah, and and... You know, I, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I maybe would have done it in a, in a certain situation. Like if a guy, uh, I think was it was it Henry Ruggs? Maybe if, if a player does something on the field that is not normal, I think it was I think it was Ruggs that when he when he scores, yes, he like held three fingers up or something. That's right, right. Yes. If you want to explain like why he does that, if it's like to honor so and so, like that's okay. But uh, I think they probably went a little bit over the top with some of that, and I think some of the the blowback was worn, especially. In these times, I think a lot of people were probably tuning into the draft looking for it to be a distraction, you know what I mean, from, from yes. uh, the situation that's going on. And so they don't, you know, you, you turn on the news right now and you're hearing about deaths and cases of coronavirus and all this stuff. You don't want to turn on the NFL draft and hear more about more death. I mean, it's just, uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody that's uh, that morbid that is, you know, using the NFL draft as another avenue to hear about people dying. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to hear about people dying, whether it's on the news or anywhere, but um, certainly you wouldn't expect to hear it so much in, uh, as there was, at least in some parts um, of the coverage this weekend. And uh, when I said that, why are people complaining about the draft when we haven't had anything? That is a complaint I do understand. But, you know, people that were like, first round's taking too long, um, this, that, and the other about the way the draft was being presented. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I thought those were kind of, I, I didn't get those. But I do, I do question and I do think that there is, you know, and we have discussed it, so... I do think there is something to uh, some of the dis- you know discussion of of way of, of the way some of those sad stories were presented yeah, so but, often. Yeah, but the presentation of it, I mean, the way they had to do it. I mean, I, I, before we move on to talk about the Tennessee guys, I do want to say that as someone who who's done some TV stuff, I know Pat, you have too. It, it's when you when you're trying to get 
you know, when you're trying to do a broadcast or, or anything with people in different areas, like we're just doing the podcast right now. And because of the, you know, the social distancing and everything, we're having to stay at our own houses. So, you know, it affects the, 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 the product quality a little bit. There's no question it does. But the way that, and that's just with two of us in two places, you're talking about like 500 different places the NFL is trying to be at the same time between all the analysts, all the players' living rooms, uh, you know, everybody doing the broadcast in different areas, trying to cut to the TV truck, and all the producers uh, are, are in their trucks, and they're having to be probably, instead of in one massive truck, they're probably in different parts all over the place, six feet apart at least. That is an unbelievable logistical challenge. And I think the way they pulled it off with only a few people talking over each other and, and some, some mess-ups with the video, I think they did a fantastic job in that way because I, I cannot even begin to describe to people how difficult it is to put all those things together. It is a nightmare, even when everything's going perfectly and everybody's in the same room. So that, it's almost unfathomable what they had to do. So I, I think, you know, that part of it, I, I'll give them all the credit in the world, uh, the kudos, or as Philip Fulmer calls them, the kudos. Um, and I, 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 I just, I enjoyed it. And, and for Tennessee, you know, Pat, it had been a, a couple of years again, you know, it, it's the draft was an, unfortunately it was a three day reminder of the guys Butch Jones should have signed. And I hate to put it that simply, but that's kind of what it was. There were a bunch of guys from the state of Tennessee who who did not end up who ended up not becoming Vols. There were some some guys that they just really should have gotten, or guys that they were right there had a chance for and just couldn't sign the deal. And it, it just there were a couple guys that Tennessee got drafted, and we're going to talk about them a lot. Um, but just man, there were so many guys that could have been Tennessee players and weren't. And seeing them over three days go one after the other being drafted, that's it's kind of a kick to the coin pouch, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't think it was the first round, but over the first two nights, weren't there like four uh, guys from the state of Tennessee that were drafted and none so, of them played at Tennessee? That sounds um, about it was, right, yeah. It was uh, T. Higgins, Jacob Phillips, uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, and uh, who was the other one? Van Jefferson. I got it. Yes, Van Jefferson. There you go. Yeah. It, it came to me. Um, yeah. So none of those guys played at Tennessee and, um, you know, you, you wrote something last week about some other guys that Tennessee was, uh, could have gotten and didn't, they would elsewhere. I think Derek Brown was on the list. First round pick, um, Brandon, Ayuk, who's going to be teammates with Juwan Jennings in San Francisco. He was the first round pick, uh, from Arizona state. He was a guy that, you know, that was there. So, um, and, and it'll probably be painful next year when Trevor Lawrence goes number one. So, um, yeah, I mean that that was part of it, but uh, I, I don't I don't know that that Tennessee fans should have been going into this draft with big expectations. You were looking at probably two, maybe three guys getting picked, um, and, and obviously that's sort of the way it played out. It was, um, and it was you know yeah. Dale Taylor sort of had been rising up boards um, late, and you kind of saw that kind of come to fruition. Uh, Juwan Jennings was kind of hurt by his speed. Um, and I saw some. I saw and, somebody point and, and, this and out his, with, and his small hands too. Uh, and I saw somebody point this out with um, uh, with Jake Fromm too. When you don't get to have in person, face to face, you know, you don't get to be around these players, be around their energy. I think that probably would help Juwan Jennings. Now he he's he's sort of a, an alpha personality. He's probably not for everyone. There are probably some teams that would have been around him in person, and he might have rubbed them the wrong way. But 
just watching him react to the way that the 49ers draft him, his his energy, his emotion, his excitement. I think if you had gotten some of those things around him, some other teams maybe would have been more willing to look past some of um, his, his lack of measurables, so to speak. So, uh, and that's why these teams, in a lot of ways, went towards um, the tangibles and, and and some of those things. So, yeah, because uh, I yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't know this, Pat. Did you know that? I mean, I, I don't know if, if you you know th- this thing about hand size is, is a lot bigger you know, than I realized it was until, you know, I want to say like, you know, this draft, but the past few drafts, like I never really thought about things like that. But, but when you're a wide receiver, you know, we see on film, Juwan Jennings catching everything, but then you look at it and you go, wait, his hands are just like nine inches at six foot three. Cause I'm, I've measured mine and I'm, I'm six foot one and my hands are a little bigger than that. So I guess if you're a wide receiver, you got to catch everything, but you can get to more passes, I guess, if your hands are bigger. I mean, he, he had, apparently the dude's got small hands. Who knew? I I think it was probably more the forty time than the hand size that that hurt him. Oh, four seven two in the forty. There's no question in a twenty nine inch vertical. You know, you see him go up and get all those fifty fifty balls, and, and that makes it even more impressive when you consider that he doesn't even you know, gets it up at about twenty nine inches. He swears he can do a little better than that, but he got he got measured at twenty nine. Um, but he did go to the seventh round. Uh, he did get drafted, which may have have you know cost him cost him some money but you know it, it it's that is what it is but i guess we'll talk about before we get to juan we will get to the first guy who from tennessee off the board daryl taylor got taken in the second round was it 48 overall pat by the seahawks was that the number it was 48 overall and, and taylor was a guy who going into the draft process a lot of people thought of him as kind of a mid-round guy because he was not consistent on film uh, so at times he looked like a first round pick at times he looks like a guy that would be an undrafted free agent it just kind of depended on the game and then people took a deeper dive realized that hey this guy played with a stress fracture in his leg all year long and for the second year in a row he was up there near the sec leaders in sacks and on his best days uh, the guy's really really good he's really really hard to block uh, he looks as one scout said he's chiseled from granite basically when you look at the guy He's got the quickness. He had the procedure done in January to put that titanium rod in his leg. So apparently that got straightened out. Uh, and he kind of started to rise up the boards. And there was talk that, you know, one one writer from NFL.com, an analyst, uh, thought he would go in the first round of the Seahawks. There were about 30 overall. So uh, the Seahawks, apparently he knew something, right, Pat? Because the Seahawks drafted up in the second round to get him and then said something about, you know, they thought about taking him earlier than that. Yeah, shout out to uh, Peter Schrager at NFL.com. I don't, I, he's not. I would, I don't think he would consider himself a, a draft guru, um, but he he knows he knows what's going on. He, he's he is an insider, and so um, he he knew that the the Seahawks really liked Daryl Taylor, um, and it turns out they really did like Daryl Taylor enough to trade up to get him uh, midway through the, the second round. And um, Seattle's GM John Schneider said on Friday night that uh, they consider he was under consideration for their first round pick they had, i think they had 27 i think um in the first round and took jordan brooks uh linebacker out of texas tech but um uh, yeah taylor uh and he's you know his medical situation um and and there were a couple of people that said this that you know if he had been healthy uh that he might have he definitely would have had a better season and might have been a first round guy um that, that's how i'm on record to say it was i think i think jeremy pruitt said that i think daniel jeremiah uh, no offense, I think they know a little bit more than U.S. Oh hell yes, um, they know a ton more than me. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, one of the people who said he would. I think he would have been a first round pick. Um, but yeah, so I mean, he was a second round pick playing through a, a bad injury, and and I think what, um, and, and we'll get to this with Daniel Batuli's situation here in a minute. But um, 
Daryl Taylor, one of the last guys I think the Seahawks hosted before uh, the coronavirus basically altered the, the NFL's pre-draft process from, you know, banning visits, keeping guys, uh, you know, travel restrictions, things like that. Pro days canceled, all that stuff. Um, Taylor still early in March got to visit Seattle. And so he got to be around the GM, around Pete Carroll, around the defensive line coach, around all those people. Went to lunch with them. You know, they, they sort of started creating a, um, it was a good first date, so to speak. And so um, that that was sort of the origins of, of what happened during this draft when, you know, day of the first round, they get linked to, you know, to him. And then the next day they end up trading up to get him. So, um, yeah, he's um, – and, and we're also going to talk later. This is a tease in the business, but we're going to talk about Tennessee's sort of their draft class for next year. But um, Dale – Taylor was really the only guy in this draft class. Maybe not the only guy, but he was, he's a dude. Like he, he's a guy that when you watch his film, he jumps, yes. like he, he sticks out, he pops out. Um, and he may not have done it always consistently, but, um, he, he was, he, he was a guy that pops. Um, and so I, I think that's in that sense, it shouldn't be a surprise that he went in the top 50. Um, and it's been, <clears throat> it's been good to see him cause he's had to work for it too. In addition to his off the field situation, um, with, with his family, uh, with his parents, um, and, you know, being a sophomore in high school, your dad's not in the picture and you lose your mom. I mean, that's, that's tough. Um, but you know, once he got to Tennessee, you know, he, he came in really small. I still remember tweeting a picture of him standing next to Khalil McKenzie, uh, like one of their first practices together. And, and, uh, McKenzie is, you know, huge, yes. thick, big legs. And, and Daryl Taylor looks like a beanpole. Uh, and ironically, they're now going to be, uh, teammates uh, up in Seattle, but, um, you know, he had to bulk up to, to be an edge rusher. And then, um, you know, he had a bit of a, you know, he had the off field issue a little bit, or, uh, you know, <laughs> that scuffle with Trey Smith that got him suspended yeah, uh, during think, 2017. Think about, think so he had to grow Pat. up a little bit, but he went after um, Trey Smith like that. I mean, it, it's not smart, but my God, toughness, man, he went after Trey he sent, Smith. And he sent him to the hospital to get stitches in his face. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he, he had some growing up to do and some developing to do as a player and as a person. And that's sort of the, um, you know, that's sort of the rewarding aspect of it from, from this side of things to see guys sort of realize, uh, what they can be, uh, and, and sort of set themselves up for, uh, uh, the future for both them and their, their families, the people that have stayed through their side through, uh, through whatever they've gone through. Yeah. And he had to change defenses too, and, and get used to a different coaching staff and where he was going to play and all these things. And, yeah, I mean, he, he certainly had, had been through a lot. And I don't think in terms of the fit, we need to just to talk much about Taylor with the Seahawks because they needed an edge rusher. It was a desperate need for them, and they went and, and traded up to get a guy with the 48th overall pick. So guess what? Daryl Taylor's going to play. <laughs> he is, he's on the roster. He's going to play a lot. That dude's a Seahawk, and they're paying him good money, and that's how that's going to be. The interesting thing was with the Niners in the seventh round with Jawan Jennings because – Pat, I, I do not claim, and I will not claim, that I am an NFL guru. I, I watch teams, I watch games, you know, I watch the Titans some on Sundays. I, if there's a good game on, I'll watch it. I'm not like, it's not like appointment, like the world doesn't stop for me when the NFL is on like it does for seemingly most of the sports viewing world. But I know enough about it to know that the San Francisco 49ers, they've got a bunch of wide receivers. And they took one in the first round also in IUK. And, and so, you look at their roster, I mean, they've got 10, 11, 12 pretty darn good wide receivers, and you can't carry that many. So 
Jawan Jennings, I know he was excited. I know that he fits that mold of the toughness, the versatility that, that the 49ers like. Um, but that was a team that, you know, came really close a couple minutes away from winning a Super Bowl, probably now has a better roster than it did last season when it made that run. Um, that's a, I mean, it's a good fit for him in terms of, of the way he plays the game and he's bigger than some of their wideouts, but that, that, that's a, that, that's a tough situation. He probably could have found softer landing spots, couldn't he? Uh, probably, but uh, the counter argument to that is that, you know, the 49ers took a wide receiver in the first round. So that, that should tell you maybe what they feel about their group there. Um, and they've, they've got some guys there that, that haven't done a whole, whole lot. Um, uh, obviously, Debo Samuel is probably their number one guy. Brandon Ayuk, who we, who we mentioned earlier, that's the guy that they took. Um, he, he's probably going to be you know, a heavy factor in their plans. And then Jennings will probably be battling a handful of other guys, including his, his former teammate Jalen Hurd, who's, uh, who was uh, San Francisco's third-round pick a year ago um, and missed this, you know, didn't play at all uh, during the 2019 season due to a back injury. So um, there's a lot of guys there that um, I wouldn't say are definitely in his way. Um, you know, Certainly Jennings will – uh, have his work cut out for him. You always do if you're a seventh round pig, but um, <laughs> at this point, uh, you bet against John Jennings at your own peril, don't you? I mean, no question. And, I, and I'm, I mean, I'm not betting if, against him because I think he will make, if not that roster, he will make a roster. I think he will make a roster. I just, I don't, you know, I don't know for sure that it's going to be the one in San Francisco because they just, they've got other options. And maybe I'm wrong about that. I just, you know, I, and I'm never going to doubt Jawan Jennings. I think he will play in the league. I'm just saying I wonder if there was a better spot for him. There might have been. Um, but, I mean, you look at their – again, you look at their wide receivers. Um, again, none of these guys have necessarily been world beaters. Um, Travis Benjamin's been a good player, but uh, he's 30 years old. Kendrick Bourne, Dalen Hurd, Richie James, Dante Pettis is somebody I think they've been waiting on. Uh, Sean Poindexter, Trent Taylor, Chris Thompson – some decent players, but I don't know that I don't you know, it's not like he, it's not like Jawan Jennings has to overcome Everest here. And I think And his special um, his special teams play, I think, is a factor too. Yeah, that was that was the point I was gonna make is you can only carry so many guys at certain positions on, on game days and um you, you probably need your fourth or fifth receiver um to uh to be able to play on special teams and Juwan will he'll cover punts, he'll cover kicks. He did it at Tennessee, he'll probably block too if you teach him that. So um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, he's certainly, if you're a seventh round pick, you, you're, you know, you're going to have to work to make it. Um, and even if you're undrafted, you're gonna have to work to make it too. So, um, I, I'm not betting against Juwan Jennings. I'm not going to sit here and say he's hundred percent, definitely for sure going to make the roster. Um, but I, I will sit here and say, I'm not, I wouldn't count him out. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I'm not skeptical. I won't be surprised if he makes the roster. I'll put it that way. Well, I guess you know, when you're a seventh round draft pick and, and you're an undrafted free agent, you know, or even a sixth round pick in some cases, you know, you're going to have to fight for roster spots. And there are some Tennessee guys who did not go in the draft, but did go off the board as undrafted free agents. And that's a, you know, almost a different scenario. A lot of times it's better to not be drafted than be taken in the sixth or seventh round. Uh, financially, also you get to pick spots where you think you have a better chance to make the team. And, and I thought some of these Tennessee guys made some pretty interesting decisions. Pat, you can run down the full list. I know you've you've written on this. Uh, yeah, the undrafted free agent guys, uh, Marcos Calloway went to the Saints. Nigel Warrior went to the Ravens, which ironically is where his father, Dale Carter, ended his NFL career um, in 2004 and 2005. 
Uh, and Dominic Wood Anderson is also heading out to uh, the Seahawks. Uh, so those are the three deals that I believe have been done at, at this point and were done after the draft on Saturday night. Yeah, and I, I like a lot of those decisions. I think those guys, when you look at the rosters of the places they went, uh, I think that's that's uh, I think those are pretty good fits. And, and you know, Callaway getting to play on the turf down there in that wide open offense, I think that could be fun. If he's able to make that team, I think he could be a guy who makes some plays. Uh, certainly they're an exciting team to watch. You know, the Saints are – I said it before, I, I don't consider a lot of NFL appointment football, but the Saints can be appointment football because they're just so fun to watch. And, and I think they – that will be fun for him if he's able to make that team. And I think the other guys made good decisions as well. The one guy who you haven't seen yet, uh, and there's a reason for that, is Daniel Batuli, who is a guy who I, I was told by a couple people on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, that Batuli got a, a mid to late round grade from the NFL originally and was a guy who I think most people had on their board somewhere. And he ended up not going in the draft and he hasn't signed a free agent contract yet. And there's a reason for that is that we all knew that, that Batuli had issues with his knee. He had it uh, scoped again, kind of drained right before the season, had something dealt with, missed the first couple games. Uh, he still was maybe not 100%, but he played through it. Uh, so NFL teams wanted to look at that knee because uh, it got red flagged in the process. And when you get red flagged in the NFL draft process, that can be a problem for you. Tuttle and other guys like that, obviously. Trey Smith will get it next season when he goes out. Uh, you know, Tua got it this season but got through it. Um, you know, if you have one of those red flags, you have to go get it rechecked again. You usually have to visit with the team. They're going to want their own doctors to look at it. And this year, because of the coronavirus stuff, that just could not happen. Uh, Batuli tried to get it rescheduled, tried to get some things worked out uh, to get that addressed and, and, and get the new information to the teams. But he couldn't get it done in time because of travel restrictions and doctor's appointments and things like that. So basically... Uh, he's going to wait uh, to sign. I think he probably could sign now, but he's going to wait a couple weeks, uh, get the, the, the clear information from the doctors that he can give to teams. And then at that point, he'll be a much more attractive candidate who will make more money or get more money to sign. So that was the update uh, that I got from a couple of really good sources about uh, Batuli on Sunday night. So that makes sense to me because you look at some, Pat, you look at some of the inside linebackers who were taken in the final few rounds of the draft. Uh, Batuli's probably a better player than a lot of those guys. Yeah, yeah, and you know I think that's another situation where uh, you know we saw with Daryl Taylor coming off an injury, maybe not um, as recent as was maybe Batuli's situation. Or um, to to my knowledge, I don't think Daryl Taylor had any shin issues prior to last season. So no, he had shoulders and stuff like that. Yeah, but nothing. Like yeah, that. yeah, which is you know common for edge rushers but uh the fact that he got to you know see the seahawks in person get looked at by their medical people uh the team sort of checked out they made sure every you know they were able to check for themselves that everything was okay and so that prompted them to you know not knock him down their board or off the board completely whereas batuli his situation as you mentioned wasn't able to see teams get checked out by their you know but uh by it you know, the medical people of individual NFL teams that, that hurt him. Um, and, and that sort of impacted where they had him. And I'm sure a lot of teams probably red flagged him, uh, flagged him and he wasn't even on their board at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's a good illustration of, of maybe he was a guy that, uh, was impacted by the way that, that the, the run up to the draft was. And I think probably Nigel warrior probably falls in that category too. I'm not saying he would have gotten drafted, but, um, maybe he gets a different look if, 
um, you know, he, he has a good pro day. We saw that with Emmanuel Mosley a couple of years ago where he didn't get a combine invite, but ran, I think, four, three, eight around then. Um, and that, that sort of got him on on the radar for teams. Uh, you know, teams got to see him in person at Tennessee's pro day in Knoxville. And that sort of that was the origin of him getting a chance with the 49ers. And he kind of took it from there. So uh, I think uh, Warrior, in, in the case of not getting to go to the combine and then having everything happen, and then Batuli with his situation and not being able to go meet with individual teams, have his medical info, uh, show it to them, get checked out by certain people. Uh, I think that the, those two guys were probably hurt by, uh, by those, those, uh, the situation and, and the way things were. Yeah. And Batuli was a guy before we go to break here who, who was, he did grade out significantly higher as a senior. He was a guy who always flashed on film. You can see that he's a little stiff, but he runs pretty well uh, in a straight line. You know, he, he's got pretty good movement. I wouldn't call him like a, like an extremely fluid linebacker, but he's fluid enough for an inside linebacker spot. Uh, and he's a brilliant kid. He can pick up any defense pretty quickly. Uh, but the way he played as a senior really, really helped his cause. Uh, the film, and I've talked to people about this, the film between his junior year and his senior year uh, was night and day in, in some ways. He played at a very, very high level uh, in in that senior season. And he still had the team in tackles, even though he missed the first two games. And you could see on the field, when you watch the defense without him and then you watch the defense with him on the field, that's where you really see Daniel Batuli's value is, you know, a lot of those guys improved throughout the year and certainly Bryce Thompson came back and that was a factor. Uh, but the way Batuli was able to get things set in that defense uh, really kind of fortified the middle of that group and really made them a, a different team. Uh, and I think that that certainly stood out to teams as well. We got plenty more to talk about. We got some guys who uh, I think, Pat, there might be a more active draft for Tennessee uh, 365 or so days from now when the draft's in Cleveland. I think Tennessee could have uh, a, a more interesting few days there. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, we got to pay some couple pay some bills, got a list of some products, services, in-house ads, all those other fun things. But once we do that, We'll be right back, and we'll talk about the 2021 NFL Draft. Hashtag ad. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. 
But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the GoVols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you may or may not have heard just a moment ago during the commercial break. As always, you're not contractually, morally, ethically, spiritually obligated in any way, shape, or form to listen to those commercials. But we appreciate the people who do that. That helps us out at CBS Sports, helps us out at 24-7 Sports, helps us out at GoVols 24-7. And you know, it might even help you. You might, you might hear uh, an ad about another podcast that you didn't know about that you want to listen to. You're like, hey, that, that's right up my alley, whether you're an NBA guy or NFL guy or you know, a PGA Tour, you're a golf guy. You know, Whatever you are, you might hear an ad during that, during the, the commercials for our podcast that might make you want to listen to them. We've also got some products and services that slip in there from time to time, including luxury car companies. Uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, basically, that was a compliment to you, Tennessee fans, because they think that you y'all are luxury car driving people, and I think that that's a compliment. So they they think you're a highbrow group, Tennessee fans. So you should know that. West Rucker Patrick Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio and from a location that we will not specify. Spock spoke about the NFL draft in the first segment, the 2020 draft. We're going to get to the 2021 draft now, and Pat, I think we all know the big name for Tennessee on the 2021 draft board. So why don't we go ahead and talk about that? There's a couple of them, but, but one in particular. Uh, yeah. And I, I made this point in the, in the first segment that, uh, and I'll preface, I know, I know you set me up to talk about Trey Smith, but I'm going to preface the whole discussion here with my two cents. I like it. Um, I, I see, I, I look at this Tennessee roster and maybe some of these guys that are they're going to be draft eligible next season. I see a lot of guys that are like good, solid football players, football players you can you can depend on if you're coaching staff, football players you can take and win with um, on Saturdays. I don't see a lot of dudes that just like pop off, like pop out, jump out on, on the tape. Um, you see a lot of those guys at Alabama, and Ohio State, LSU, Clemson. Yes. Um, and Tennessee does have some of those guys. I'm not saying they don't have any. Uh, they have more now than they did this point two years ago, but um, – uh, they 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 need more of those guys and and they might have more coming um, uh, with with some of the young guys that are on campus now and, and they're going to be on campus. So uh, that being said, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, Trey Smith he 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 jumps off the tape when you watch when you watch a game. Um, uh, and we've all we've all seen the clips of him burying dudes um, and, and and driving guys to the ground. Um, we've all seen those things. Uh, so he he's he's obviously a guy that is already getting a lot of first round. Uh, projections early on uh, Gil Brandt who uh, was a longtime uh, VP of player personnel with the Cowboys is in the Hall of Fame tweeted a couple days before the draft that he thought you know his stance is that most guys uh, that are thinking about coming out as juniors should go back 
Uh, and it, most of the time it helps guys. But he thought that Trey coming out and could have come out and been one of the top offensive linemen taken in this draft. Um, and so that uh, the question with Trey is going to be, um, first of all, his medical situation. I think that's part of the reason he wanted to come back too, is he wanted to show that his uh, regimen of, of limited practice, uh, other things that you know he's not really gone into specifics about what his what his plan is, so to speak, in terms of how he goes uh, with medication, things like that. He wanted to show that it could be sustainable for longer, um, which will uh, alleviate some of the health questions that he'll get from NFL teams, who obviously will still want to check him out on you know with their own people. Um, and the other question is, is that you know is can he play tackle uh, at the next level? Uh, Trey thinks he can play tackle. I don't. I don't. I still think he's probably best suited uh, at guard. Uh, in the NFL, the guard is not as sexy a position as tackles. That's why most of the time you see the offensive lineman draft in the first round are, are tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, if you you know if you get Trey Smith and everything checks out medically, you take him in your first in the first round. He's your starting left or right guard for you know as long as he's playing the game. So uh, that that's the potential there. I mean, that, he's probably the number one guard prospect in the draft next year, um, and that that might be enough to get him. Um, uh, I would think it would be enough to get him in the first round, assuming that uh, everything checks out medically. Yeah, the the, the thing with Smith to to and, and in terms of the specifics, I you know I, I think we're all careful about the Pacific the the Pacifics the specifics with the situation because you know you want to be 100 percent accurate. There's some privacy at play there clearly, as there there should be. I know Pat, you can appreciate that as much as anyone, right? Um, but but you you look at uh, come on, man, you're not even going to snicker a little bit there. Not a little bit. I don't, I don't want to. T- I don't want to tell you what my reaction was to that. Perfect, statement. perfect, perfect. But yeah, I mean, so I understand that. But the the public certainly, you know, wants to know things, and the NFL is going to demand to know things. And I can tell you some 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 general things about this. Trey Smith was not able to practice with contact last year. It's pretty easy to understand. He goes off of his medication just with a small enough window to play the game on Saturdays. And then he goes back on the medication immediately after the game. And then that's how it goes. So that that's the general. Now, in terms of why it's done like that and all these other things, I, I'm not a doctor. I'll let other people explain that. But the, the deal is in the NFL, you don't really practice with contact much anyway. You practice maybe in full pads with contact uh, very rarely, but you practice with, in full pads like once a week in the NFL. And Trey Smith is basically coming back in a lot of ways. He thinks he can play better. He thinks he can put more consistent uh, tape out there. But really, he wants to go out there, and they're working on a way to get him a practice during the week also to kind of – I don't know if they're going to have to change their schedule or if he's going to have to tweak something on his end. But basically, they're going to have it where he can practice more with contact next season to basically – if he can practice – at the physical contact standard that the NFL sets during the week, if he can mirror that as a college football player, that will ease a lot of those concerns. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to come back and finish things academically to get to promise the degree that he promised his late mother. He wants to come back and put more consistent uh, film out there. And he wants to, to show everyone that he can practice during the week a little bit too. And if he can do all those things, he feels like there'll be no question that he's a first round pick. And you know what? He might've, he might have been that high this year anyway. We don't know uh, just because he – it's such an interesting situation because as a, purely as a player, there is no question how good he is. And as a character, there is no question how strong his character is. Uh, you want him in your in your foxhole. You want him on in your franchise. You want him in your organization. But there's some things that you got to iron out to get there, which I 
Pat, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think you pretty much hit everything, Wes. I don't have anything to add to that. I'm like well, James Carville in old school. Well, I guess we can go down and talk about some of the other guys, too, because one guy a lot of people are going to want to talk about is Bryce Thompson, and he's a guy who, when you watch the film, I think he does pop on film. He just He's always around the ball. He is making plays. He is kind of a nuisance out there for people to deal with. He can blitz off the edge. He's tough. The, the problem's going to be... I don't know exactly what he's going to run. I have no idea what his 40 time may or may not be. And he's also not like one of these six foot one corners, which seem to be kind of in vogue. If you're going to be like a really early round pick as a corner, uh, you, you kind of need to be a little bit longer now. And that, that might stand in his way. Right. No, I, I think, I think you might be right there. Uh, I don't know what he's going to run either. I think he's pretty fast. Um, I think he, I think he does a lot of things. Well, I think you look at Bryce Thompson and there's not, uh, he can get better at tackling, but I don't know that there's one part of his game that is a complete liability. I think he could probably uh, sharpen up some things in coverage to be a little bit more uh, of, a, of a true lockdown corner, so to speak, because um, that's what's going to get you drafted high is being a guy that um, that that you can teams can put you on the other team's number one or two receiver and, and trust that, that you hold up. So um, I think he can. I, I think he can get. Uh, if he can improve some parts of his game, tackling, get a little bit sharper in coverage, maybe he'll play with a little bit more consistency, uh, maybe make some more plays on the ball. He wasn't as much a playmaker uh, as a sophomore as he was as a freshman, which you know might have been because teams are staying away from him, which is entirely possible. But um, if he's able to have a little bit more ball production and, and maybe up things just a little bit as a junior, I think he will have a decision to make. Um, but I think it could be a situation where he, he might stand to benefit from from playing all four years. Uh, that might not have been his plan when he came in, but um, and I'm, I imagine he's probably going into this year in his mind thinking, hey, I tear it up this year, I can go get paid because um, he's he's got that much talent. I think you're right. I think he is a guy that pops. Um, and I do think that a couple guys that Tennessee had in this last class, Daryl Taylor was a guy that even when he was a redshirt freshman, people were like, oh, yeah, this guy, this guy's he, he's really legit. He's really pretty good. Um Jennings is a guy that obviously pops. Um, he just did, didn't run very well and didn't test very well, uh, and that hurt him. Uh, and some other guys did too, but um, I think Thompson definitely is one of those guys, um, and, and I think he's he's on the verge of being a pretty good NFL prospect, but I think there's still some things that he can do um, over the next year between now and, and the start of the pre-draft process in January to, to get him even more up, on the radar and up the board. I think the other X factor, and we'll see how this works out, but I think, and I've seen just enough of this in practice and I've heard more about this. I've not been able to see it with my own eyes much, just a little bit. Uh, But Bryce Thompson, I think, is a very, very exciting return game prospect. And Tennessee's not wanting to get him hurt. He's not wanted to, you know, they've had Callaway, who's plenty good at that. They've had Chandler, who's a good kick returner. They've got guys who can do that. But I think now with Callaway out of the picture, I think if Tennessee feels good enough about the other corners, they might put him back there to return punts and, and some kickoffs too. And I think he could be exciting in that part of the game. Yeah, and, and we got to remember this past season, um, you know, the incident, the off-field incident. That's something he's going to have to answer to at the NFL level. And he and he was a little bit banged up at the end of the year too. Um, he was and, and a few playing. issues, a few issues too. Like there's some anger management and some things from his high school days. Yeah. There's some things he's going to have to work on. Yeah, I mean, there, there's some questions he's going to have to, you know, answer, you know, conduct-wise about um, if, you know, whenever he does go into the NFL draft. But um, he, he's definitely a guy I think 
at minimum, if he has a, another good year and maybe his best year, I think he will have a, a decision to make. And um, it may, you know, and there's obviously a lot of factors that go into those decisions. You know, can you come back and make yourself a first round pick? Um, you know, do you think, are you pretty confident you could go in the second, third round and you're okay with that money, you know, start off with and then get your second contract. So um, there's a lot of different factors that kind of go into those decisions. But um, I look at Tennessee's juniors and I think, Bryce Thompson and, and Cade Mays are going to be the ones that, that likely have um, that are most likely to have legitimate decisions potentially to make after next season. Yeah. And, and Mays, you know, that we don't know exactly what the eligibility situation is there. We're going to figure that out. The NCAA uh, might pass a waiver that makes that irrelevant, but if it doesn't, they still think they're, that, that, that they have a case there, Tennessee and, and Mays to, to get him eligible for this season. We'll see if he can play. He just needs to be consistent because at his best, he is a very, very good player who can play several spots up front and do a lot of things. Uh, there's some other guys in this class, though, that there's a couple guys in particular, Pat, that really, really, you know, when you, when you talk about guys who pop, there's a few guys on this list who, when I've watched them the past couple years, or last year in particular, they popped at times. Now, did they pop all the time? Absolutely not. But there's a couple guys who popped up then and, and made some plays that really kind of, you know, they get you excited when you're a football guy and you watch some of this stuff. Uh, the first one that I'll mention, uh, I don't think there's any secret about it. I've been banging this drum for four years. Josh Palmer, when you watch him at his best, that is an absolutely a fantastic football player. Big, strong, uh, fantastic um, ability to make plays. He can catch balls in tight windows. The question will be, without Jennings and Callaway there, will he step up and be consistent as a top-end guy? Because physically, to me, he's big. He can run, uh, big hands. I mean, he, he's a guy who has that. In He's got all of the tools that you need. It's just, will he put them together and be a stud? Another guy who kind of, to, to me, at times popped last season, and he, he would sneak up and pop out of nowhere, was Daryl Middleton was a guy to me who, at times, you watch a couple plays and you go, man, he just absolutely blasted that Alabama O-lineman who's going to be an NFL player. And he, he would make plays like that that kind of make you go, hmm, I think he's pretty good. And I think we all know the deal with Ty Chandler. If you can get him in the open field, he's a burner, but you just got to get him there, right? He's got to get himself there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of react to three of those things. And, and I, I did include all three of these guys. I put a, a list on, on the side of 12 guys that could be picked next season. Um, I should have mentioned this off the top. Tennessee's going to have a pretty big senior class uh, this year, almost uh, assuming nobody leaves. Um, it could be more than, than two dozen guys, which is uh, almost double what they had this past year when they had five guys that ended up, for whatever reason, coming back this season. So, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see Palmer. I don't know that Palmer's a burner, um, Correct. but I think he, I think he would jump pretty well. I mean, he's shown off a pretty good catch radius. He's, you know, he's been a downfield threat. If he can, uh, sort of, you know, how does he handle going up against teams? Number one cornerbacks, does he handle press? Well, so those are some of the things he's going to have to, um, to, to figure out as a senior. But again, he's a guy that I think is still, um, developing as a player and as a receiver, uh, it's sort of a late bl- Boomer that's still blooming, if you will. Uh, Middleton was a guy was he was one of the first few names I, that I had on this list just because there's so much upside there. I mean, He's six huge. foot seven, three hundred six pound defensive lineman. They don't they don't grow on trees. You don't find a lot of those guys around. Um, and I still think he's another guy that's still got a little bit of a ways to go um, developmentally, just because he was, you know, he's still 
you know, last year was his first year playing in the SEC on the defensive line. You know, he's a tight end wide receiver type in high school. So, you know, can, you know, he's still trying to figure out how he was kind of playing in, in the body that he had developed into, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, but the question marks for, for me with Milton are first of all, you had this off field incident this year. Um, that, that's going to be something he's obviously going to have to answer for. Um, and I, I wonder if he's going to be a tweener at the next level. Cause I don't know that he's, um, sturdy enough to necessarily be a true three technique, a, a, a defensive tackle in a four, three that can handle double teams and those things. I think he maybe can do it. Can he do it every down? I don't know. Uh, and he's not quick and explosive enough to be a true edge guy. So does he have to be a three, four defensive end? Does that have to be what he does? Or, you know, is, is he a, a third down pass rusher as an interior guy with the four, three team, you know, where, where does he fit in scheme wise? I think is a little bit of a question with him and with Ty Chandler. Um, I, I think he could, Get himself on the radar with his speed. Uh, we have a, a four, a verified four four time, uh, four four forty time um, on his on his recruiting profile. Um, if he runs in that range uh, at a combine or at the pro, at pro day next year, that'll probably get him on the radar. Uh, he's also got um, you know return value, as, you know, on special teams because he's returned kicks, uh, and he, and he's a little bit more. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a little more. He, He's suited to be an NFL running back today because he can catch the ball in the backfield. So uh, there's some things like there. Uh, I, I I will mention that Brent Samaglia is on this list too. Yes, yes. Um, I think he's got a chance. Uh, you know, Tennessee's got three punters in the league. They've got a Pro Bowl long snapper. They need to get the kicker off. You know, they need to get a kicker in there so they can uh, win specialist bingo in the NFL. Um, and then I think a couple guys that could be. Um, uh, maybe low floor guys. Brandon Kennedy is, you know, I, I think he's a solid player. Yes. I don't know if he'll get drafted because he's you know, he's going to be 25 as a rookie, uh, and he's obviously got a, a pretty lengthy injury history. But uh, if he can stay healthy again, have another good year, um, playing next to Trey Smith, will you know we'll have a chance for him to get a lot of you know have a lot of eyes on him because people will be watching Trey, people will be watching Cade. Um, uh, but I think he's. You know, he's a guy that could potentially get on the radar. Aubrey Solomon's a guy that, um, you know, is a former five-star. Some teams will take chances on those guys just because uh, needs, needs to get healthy. Of that. Cause, yeah. So uh, another guy that that's been banged up before. So um, those are the few guys I, I put on the list. And I want to make one point on on Cade Mays too. Is uh, I think the question with him isn't really talent or anything. It's is what what position is his best position? Is he is he a right tackle in the NFL? Is he a guard? Can he be a left tackle? Um, you know, that's where he started uh, for Georgia against Baylor, uh, which had a couple defensive linemen drafted. What What's his best position in the NFL? Um, and if it's tackle, this this tackle class looks pretty stacked at the top. Um, you, you look at some of these early mock drafts. You know, Panay Sewell from Oregon's probably going to be a top five guy. Uh, guy from Stanford, Walker Little, guy from Texas, uh, Alex Leatherwood from Alabama will be up there. It's it's a pretty good tackle class. Um, and so if, uh, I wonder if, if Mays ends up playing right tackle or if, if that, you know, if he's a tackle at the next, at, at the next level, does he maybe say after this season, he maybe say, I have a better chance of being a first rounder if I stay and come back, uh, in a, in a different class, you know what I mean? So, uh, that, that could be a, a situation where, uh, he, he could be like Trey and want to maximize his value uh, and his back, his value might be higher in a, in a year where. There are less, you know, surefire top 15 tackles like there appear to be in this next class. So 
Um, but yeah, those are those are some of the guys on this. The toughest omission that I that I had on this list, and I want to get this in there, is probably Alante Taylor. I think he's got a a high ceiling. I think he's still developing. I, I wasn't ready to go out on a limb of saying that Taylor was would have a decision to make after this junior season. But I think he's got a lot of ability. Um, he had a strong close to the season. Um, and, and I think if he has a really good year, he he could have a decision to make along with Thompson. Um, and uh, yeah, I would say that I yeah, just want to put it on the record that he was, he was probably my toughest omission of the 12 guys that I, that I put on this list. He, he is a, um, when you talk about the tangible things, he's got all of the tangible things, the size, the length, the speed, the athleticism, uh, certainly the the vertical leaping ability. He's got all of those things, and he'll test really well. Um, so, I, yeah, I think uh, there's a couple things I want to mention, two things, and then I think I've got all my points that I wanted to, to, to get out here. I think the interesting thing with Chandler is going to be he might be a guy whose highlights are better than the total body of work. Like if you watch just highlights of Chandler playing football, like those cut-ups they put for the draft – He'll have some explosive plays against good teams where he gets in the open field and burns people, and it's going to look really impressive uh, as a receiver and a runner and as a return guy. The question is going to be, can he be a guy who does more than that? So Chandler, to me, is a really interesting guy because if you watch just highlights, you go, man, I like this guy. Uh, But can he do those things consistently, and can he get himself into the open field? Because when there are times where you'll watch film and you'll go, man, if he would just turn the other way, you had a big play there and there are times he doesn't see stuff and it, I don't want to say frustrating, but it kind of makes you go hmm, when you watch him. So that's something to, to pay attention to. And the other guy that we did not mention at all. Uh, and I think that's certainly an omission on my part. It's a mistake. I think Emmett Gooden is a guy who, when you watch him play at his best, he looks to me like an NFL defensive lineman, maybe not a stud, maybe not a guy who you would take early in the draft, but a big, strong physical guy who can step in and help you and I think if he can stay healthy, I think he could have a really nice senior season at Tennessee. He's a guy to me who, um, in limited reps earlier, you know, in his first season at Tennessee, he he did some some good things. Uh, he didn't play as much as the starters, and he still had the same production level. So he's a guy who who would be up there for me. And I, I think Sean Schamberger is also a guy who is just he kind of became steady Eddie late in the season last year. So I think he's a guy who can at least be in a camp somewhere. Yeah, I, I think Gooden for me is probably the biggest wild card. You just don't know what he's going to look like um, coming off his injury. You don't know, you know what's he going to do with the starter's role where he's playing 40, 45, 50 snaps a game. You know, we haven't seen him do that yet. So, um, but I think he is, you know, he, I put him on this list last year. It was funny going back to, uh, I put put a list of 10 guys together the 2020 draft a year ago. Um, and it was the six guys that were, uh, you know, prospects this, this, this year, Taylor Jennings, Warrior, Batuli Callaway and, and, and Wood Anderson. And I included, I think Chandler Palmer Gooden was another guy cause he was going to be a senior. And then, uh, and then Jared Garantana, who I also put on this list too. Uh, I guess we need to talk about that, but, uh, yeah, yeah Good, Gooden's prob- the wild card. We, we, we for probably me. do. Yeah. Um, and, and Schamberger, I think he might be the epitome cause he's, uh, of what, of the point I made earlier. Cause he, he just, he's just a really solid football player, but I don't think he's going to go out and, and run four, four, you know, he's not six, three with, you know, a six, eight wingspan, um, you know, he, he, he doesn't necessarily pop, but he's a good solid football player. He was really good in coverage last season, pretty solid as a blitzer off the edge, you know, and you know, if, if he ended up finding a home as a, as a slot corner in the NFL, I don't know that I would totally be floored. Um, but you know, he's a guy that again, doesn't necessarily pop, you know, in terms of when you watch the tape. 
Yeah, he he would be kind of the reverse of Chandler. Like if you just watch some film, you'd be like, well, he's just he's okay, but he's there all the time. So the, like if you watch a full game, I know that that I remember having those conversations with Derek Dooley a lot in the past, and that, that he would say that he never wanted to watch just a highlight package of a player ever. He demanded, and he only watched full games. Like, so he would want to see how they did on consistently across the board for 60 minutes because that would show more who they were as a player. Obviously, some guys would take over games at times, and there's still a lot of value in that. But I I, I kind of believe that. I believe that if you watch a full game, you'll get a much better impression of Sean Schamberger if you just watch the full game. But if you just watch highlights, you go, nah, what's he doing? He's not. He's just okay. He's just a guy. Um, but I think he looks he looks better when you do that. And, and then Garantano... I, I should point out though, before we move to Garantano, that when I was outsourcing, uh, when I when I texted the our our work group thread on Sunday night and said, "Here, give me some guys. I have a list. Let me see what you guys think." Uh, Schamberger was the only one y'all forgot. So shame on y'all for having no love. Agreed. For Sean Schamberger, who Pro Football Focus deemed as Tennessee's best returning player, which let's be honest, Trey Smith is Tennessee's best returning player, uh, but. PFF had some had some data that that suggested that Schamberger was was really good in coverage. Um, what was it allowed? Uh, let me look it up. It, he allowed like less than a yard per coverage snap, and which was like in the top five in the FBS. So that's what they were basing that on. But that, that, and that's what I'm saying. That, that's that, what I'm saying that, by a full game. Yeah, but I, I I omitted him at first, and you're right. It's it's a mistake. So yes, Garantano. Yeah, Carry on. I, I was going to – it's funny because I was basically going to say, Pat, uh, Garantano and the floor is yours because I don't know what the <laughs> hell to say uh, because <laughs> it's so baffling because you Garantano makes throws that only really, really good quarterbacks can make. He makes some throws that make you go, wow, dude, that is an NFL throw. Just a, He's got the arm strength. There's no question about that. You know, people talk about a hose. I mean, he's got a strong arm. I don't know if it's like a howitzer, but it's it's upper tier in terms of the strength of his arm. And he, he can he can make plays that you go, man, that was nice. And then there's the other parts that you just go, I don't want this guy anywhere near my offense. <laughs> so I don't uh, know. I mean, but if you're a coach, right, you know, we see this all the time, Pat. We see it in recruiting uh, for, for high school, for coaches that are, that are looking at high school prospects to come to college, and we see it from NFL coaches who look at college coaches, uh, college players. Every coach thinks, you know what, just let me get my hands on that guy because he's got the talent, and I can coach him. I can coach him. And so someone's going to do that. Someone's going to do that because you watch his film and you go, yep, I'm going to want I, – I, I want this guy. But I have no idea – because he has toughness that is off the charts. He has a physical toughness that is just fantastic. I mean, plays through things that most quarterbacks probably would not play through. And mentally, at times you go, man, there's not a lot of mental toughness there. And at times you go, look what he's come back from. So I, I just, I'm all over the board with that guy. Yeah, if you would have just, if you would have done what you said you were going to do, just give me the floor, I would have said two words. I would have said Jonathan Crompton. And I know we've made that comparison before with Jim Janey coming back, and I feel like we've made it a lot last uh, last offseason. But, um, you know, going into the 2009 season, nobody thought Jonathan Crompton was an NFL quarterback, but he ended up getting drafted in the fifth round and was, a, what, I think a backup for a couple few years. Yeah, and had a good career in Canada uh, too. And so uh, – and the other two words would have been Jim Chaney because 
Uh, Cheney did that work with with Crompton in a year. Uh, and we also saw what he did with Jake Fromm, which apparently was based on uh, based on how the NFL draft this year went for Jake Fromm. It seems like Jim Cheney was working some miracles getting that guy Secret sauce. to be uh, as good as he was as a sophomore when a lot of people were saying he was up there with uh, with Tua, um, and you know Joe Burrow wasn't really on the radar yet, but uh, you know people were putting Fromm up there in the first round as a first round quarterback after a sophomore year, and then um, I think it was Pete Thamel who had a pretty uh, I don't want to say scathing column on on Fromm, but talked about how you know he he had a pedestrian arm and his pedestrian arm didn't look so good when in the combine. The guy that went before him was Jacob Eason, uh, who we know can. Absolutely, he can absolutely sling it. Uh, just look at the pre Hail Mary touchdown he threw against Tennessee in 2016, and then Justin Herbert, who also has uh, an elite arm. And um, yeah, I think Garantano has some of those physical talents. I mean, that, that check the box. I mean, he can make every throw. He can throw the deep ball. He's got arm strength. He can put zip on it. He can do all of those things. It's sort of like all the other things, though, that uh, make you say like, no way, he's not going to be on NFL radar at all. Um, and, and if I'm guaranteed, I'm not really thinking about the NFL right now. I'm thinking about how am I going to be out Harrison Bailey and Brian Maurer and, and, you know, potentially JT Daniels if he comes in. Um, but I think just from a physical standpoint, um, yeah, I mean, I think Garantano has a, some tools that could potentially get him looked at, uh, if he has a decent senior season, um, and maybe playing, you know, with a second year with Jim Chaney, uh, does the trick for him. Uh, maybe it doesn't. I, I mean, I'm not expecting him to be like the next show Burrow. Uh, I don't know that what Burrow did is replicable by anybody, um, but I yeah, think he it, can be. It might be the best anybody's ever played the position at the college level. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, just the, the one-year leap. Um, and, and let's be honest, Burrow's going to have, you know, how many first-rounders? I mean, LSU had 14 guys drafted. Including uh, a snapper. Didn't inclu- that didn't even include Jamar Chase. Um, uh so, you know, uh, yeah, well, well, this list is supposed to be for discussion and for fun. I'm not saying for, you know, it's not, it wasn't to say that these 12 guys are definitely going to get drafted. If Tennessee has four guys drafted next year, I would say that's probably a resounding success as we sit here on April the 27th. Is that today? April the 27th of 2020? Yeah, um, we're, yeah, we're, if, yeah, we're yeah. recording this on the 27th and dropping it on the 28th. So, yeah. That's, so, that's, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be fun to look back at this a year from now and see uh, if what I wrote about some of these guys was correct. Uh, I actually went back and, and read what I wrote about the other guys and I felt pretty good about it. I didn't make any bold predictions that said, Oh, Nigel Warrior's definitely going to get drafted or Danny Batuli is definitely a draft pick. Um, you know, but I felt pretty good about it. I feel like I know what I'm talking about. In hindsight. Yeah. In hindsight, you check, you check the <laughs> yeah. boxes. Like, you know, if I were, if I were an NFL analyst, uh, grading your performance, I would have said, you know, he checked all the boxes. He he got, you know, he he didn't, you know, uh, maybe didn't go out there boldly, but he he didn't have a lot of information to go bold he, on. So I mean, I, I think he I think he did what he could with what he had. That's part of the part of the business. And uh, <laughs> Barton Simmons was taking a victory lap on uh, Saturday when uh, James Morgan from FIU went what the fourth or fifth round. I think he had Morgan as a four stars, like a top ten pro style quarterback in whatever class that was, and a kid signed it. I think Bowling Green. So, I mean, you know, if we look back and go listen to this podcast a year from now and, uh, you know, somebody, you know, Darren Milton turns out to be a, a stud, then, you know, 
I guess we'll feel pretty smart about ourselves. Yeah, I'll say this too. We'll, we'll, we're getting ready to check out of here, but I, I think that the, the deal with Garantano is this: he has enough talent that you just can't ever shut the door. You know that that's the kind of thing. Like, because if you're a coach, you think I can always fix that guy, and there's there's enough talent there to where pretty much no matter what he does, as long as he doesn't have any off the field issues, which to, to our recollection. Um, the, the only thing that he ever did was pout when he didn't play at Georgia Tech a couple of years ago, uh, you know. So and he might have been lied to that night. Yeah. So so, and so there were a lot of things that he had a right to be a little bit upset about that night, I believe. So so he has enough talent and he has enough toughness to where it's just hard to shut the door, right? Like you want to say, I don't know how I feel about this, but but you know, you just can't shut the door, can you? Uh, no, you can't. Uh, I think there's a, a couple other things we're going to notice just quickly. Um, interesting note for a former Vol here. Uh, Jakob Johnson looks like he might be in line to be the, the Patriots starter at fullback now because uh, their longtime fullback, Devlin, he decided he was going to retire. So congrats to uh, the, the the Germinator. He he might be uh, he might be he the, was... the Panzer for the – he might be the, 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 uh, the, the Patriots Panzer now. He's, he's the answer for the Patriots post-Tom Brady. Uh, Jakob played last year. He's a great story. He was – Sort of a throw-in on their roster from like the uh, the NFL had like a career or like an international players program. Yes, where, where every team in the AFC East got a random international player. I don't even. I think they just got assigned him, um, and you know, he uh, he he got picked with the Patriots. And the way the system, the way that program works, is if uh, if they didn't make the roster, which I don't I don't know that any of them did, um, you could bring them back on your practice squad and not use up a practice squad spot. Well, they brought the Patriots brought him back and included him on uh, their actual practice squad. If you had done it the other way, then you couldn't have you know promoted him. And so when uh, I think Devlin is the, uh, is, is the, is the fullback that's retiring. Yes. He got hurt early in the season. And then Jakob, I think started two or three games for him. Um, and, and then he got hurt. So hopefully he's healthy and can uh, continue that just crazy story at Tennessee. He's got, some of their undrafted free agent stories in the NFL right now are uh, really, really just not getting a lot of love, in my opinion. Yeah, I like mean, everybody I... was talking about Jawan Jennings being teammates with Jalen Hurd. I'm like, yeah, there's a former ball who started in the Super Bowl two months ago, y'all. Yeah, like let's give Emmanuel Mosley some love here. Yeah, I mean, and, not... And, and not I mean because everyone remembers Arian Foster, his situation too. I mean Tennessee un- undrafted free agents from Tennessee are, are pretty decent bets. Yeah, that doesn't say a lot about Shaw Tuttle, Kyle Phillips, you know. Yeah, I mean, and Justin Coleman's getting paid now. Yeah, one of the highest paid nickels in the league. Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, hey, it's, uh, you know, they, they say, right, that the race is to get to your second contract. So that that's the the one good thing I'll say about those former Vols who. Uh, Justin Coleman got a big second contract. Big, one, one of the biggest in the league for his position. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's and that's why a lot of guys go, a lot of running backs go earlier than they should, not because they're going to be picked high. Because if you're, you know, a lot of times if you're not like a first or second round pick, you, you want to come back for your senior season. But if you're a running back and you get like a grade in the first three or four or five rounds, a lot of times you go ahead and go and coaches give you their, you know, they, they give you the leeway to do that because they, they say, I'm not going to stand in your way. There's only so many miles on the odometer. And if you're a running back, try to get to your second contract. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of is what it is. But anyways, congratulations to Jakob. I wanted to get that out there before we uh, – before we checked out of here and pat if you don't have anything else i think i'll i think i'll cut both of us off here uh last call and i we'll do work. have something else. good, good i do have one good. thing great what is it um 
I wonder how many year, how many times since he's gone three drafts without a first rounder. It's probably not very many times, but they've gone to this one um, uh, since Derek Barnett. But the, I think the bigger drought, since he has not had an offensive lineman drafted since 2014. It's insane. So you're, you're, if you're looking at where the program has fallen short the most, is I think at that position, and they only have, uh, right now they only have three offensive linemen uh, in the NFL. And one of them was Khalil McKenzie, who played defensive tackle at Tennessee and was just signed from the XFL uh, a couple weeks ago. So um, I think that's a telling indication of, of maybe where this program has been. Now, that's not the longest positional drought that Tennessee has. Haven't had a tight end taken since uh, Michael Rivera in 2013. But they randomly have like five uh, tight ends on, on rosters right now. Yes. With Witten. Um, Jason Kroom's on a roster. Ethan Wolf is on a roster right now. And the younger Wolf could make a roster too. Um, so they have they randomly have a few guys there. But uh, I think the offensive line is um, – that is a position. I know a lot of people have pointed to the quarterback and uh, you know some of those. Both. I think the biggest problem Tennessee's had over the recent years has been their offensive line has been really, really subpar. And this is the first year where like it should they should be really good up front. And they might have – uh, they probably have at least two NFL guys at minimum with, with Trey and, and with Cade. Uh, we'll see what happens with Vanya Morris, Darnell Wright. I mean, how many NFL guys are, are they going to end up on, uh, don't, and don't, on this 2020 don't, team? And don't sleep on, on Karen Calvert either. Line. Don't don't sleep on Calvert either. Yeah, I mean, so, but they, you know, you just that, – that, that was my, like, lasting thought at this draft is that they've gone six years now. Six drafts with no offensive lineman drafted. They only have two really in the league right now uh, that were offensive linemen at Tennessee. That's Juwan James and Zach Fulton. Um, and obviously, the youth have to think that's going to end next year. But how many NFL guys there are? How many NFL offensive linemen are on this roster right now? It's an interesting thought for me. That is. And you I'm know what? Done. You've made a really interesting point there that makes me regret that I haven't thought of that to write a column on it. So congratulations. Well, you can write a column, but just give me some – just give me the no. Uh, I think this credit non- for the, I, the I, idea. I think this needs to be a Patrick Brown feature story now. I think uh, it's I'm your not idea. Columnist. No, but you could you could you could feature it up still. You know, you can do it. Basically, I think what we're saying is we started. Basically, you don't want to work, is what you're saying. No, no, gosh, no, man. Work works the best. I love work. <laughs> as a as a proud employee of CBS Sports and twenty four seven Sports, Go Boss twenty four seven. I love I love my job. Uh, but I do think it's interesting that we're that we began this pod by saying. Uh, here are some guys Butch Jones did not get, and we're uh, ending it with saying here are some guys that uh, Butch Jones did not develop. So that's a positive thought, right? Well, no, the positive thought is that Tennessee's about to have, what, you know, uh, four NFL offensive linemen on, on, on its roster potentially at one time when that's, they have two in the NFL right now. That's an awesome point, and I think we should start the music now, Pat, because right now we can end it on a happy note. To borrow a line from my friend and our colleague Grant Ramey, Roll that beautiful bean footage. I think that's what we'll do. Thanks, Pat. Yep. Guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan's Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. 
not Grant Ramey 24-7 because he's not a team player, just Grant Ramey on Twitter. You can also go to uh, Twitter.com to get all of our information, just Tennessee news, nothing else. If you want just Tennessee news, none of our personal stuff, none of my beautiful Corgi picks, you can go to Twitter.com slash GoVols247 or Facebook.com slash GoVols247 where Ramey does an awesome, awesome job doing uh, spearheading our Facebook coverage. Or if you want to go get that delicious East Tennessee Mountain spring water right from the source, right from the tap, go to GoVols247.com where now you have a lot of reasons to be here because we are churning out content during this downturn Uh, During this quarantine time, we are churning out content at a ridiculous rate. Still got all sorts of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball news, all Lady Vols news with Maria Cornelius. Got all of that, all of that, all the time. And if you pay for a subscription for us, you get access to uh, CBS All Access, which is a $100 annual value in your pocket for free. No questions asked. Uh, a really great streaming platform that also has live sports uh, when they return. NFL football, SEC football, NCAA tournament. Going to have UEFA Champions League down the road. Uh, some World Series of Poker type stuff. Uh, some, some unique uh, insider podcast exclusive stuff. Some, some web-only shows. Every show that's ever been done in the entire CBS catalog, all of it, that's $100 for an annual value for free. If you go to GoBalls247.com and you give us your real American cash hard-earned dollars. And uh, for everyone battling COVID out there, stay safe. Listen to what the uh, doctors and what the the uh, the people in government are saying and take this seriously because uh, we might be able to beat this thing, hopefully. Um, or at least... Um, at least kind of fight it to a stalemate for now. So guys be safe and we'll see you, I guess, Thursday. See you. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.